0: Uh, Praise the Lord, my lords, the mightiest, mightiest prophets of the Lord. Well, uh, blessed people, uh, thank you, uh, Senior Pastor Kennedy and uh, Ransom. Uh, Blessed people, uh, I am very blessed indeed to come to you at this time uh, for your uh, Saturday evening sermon before tomorrow's service. And I know that uh, there has been a council of bishops um including the council of overseers there has been a national council meeting at nakuru probably some of you are still on the road uh all you need to do is to tune in and if you are not able to this is being recorded so it will be replayed it can be replayed later and you have lost nothing but for those who are tuned in blessed people i just want to share a little bit on uh a very important conversation that the Lord is having with the church at this hour, and uh, uh, also as part of your um, your preparation, your preparedness for tomorrow's Sunday services, and so this would be um, your Saturday evening sermon before your Sunday service tomorrow. I thought I should come to you at this time and share some of these very important issues that the Lord has raised martyrs, the Lord has raised before the church and instruction. Now, today I want to talk specifically about a conversation. I'll share two conversations and then I'll base this sermon, on this message on those two conversations that heaven has had with me regarding the coming of the Messiah. Uh, the first one is a conversation in which God the Father. He wrote me a note. He wrote me a note in a dream. And then his hand, his hand brought that note very close to my eyes and even closer and closer to make me read the note. And he wrote in capital letters. He gave me that note in capital letters in a dream. As you know, the Lord communicates with these two prophets by writing, There's a lot of writing of the text of God. In that manner of communication, uh, this generation, you people, have been able to see the writings of God, even the text of heaven. The texts of heaven, the scripts, the scripts that heaven uses, the handwriting of God the Father. These are very big things that have happened in this generation. Don't lose track of them. Don't lose gravity on them that uh, when he wrote the stone tablets on the mountain, now he's writing again to these two prophets. But this time around, it's being recorded. He's being captured on camera writing. The actual writing, and you see the way he writes, is different from the way man write. You see that when the Lord writes, he begins up there, and, and he's writing the lower lines too, and he's writing the middle lines too. So these are things that you should be able to consider very, very seriously that uh, God has privileged you as a generation, as a people even to partake of this kind of visitation. And so I want to share on the writings of God two conversations when the Lord Almighty has written to me just the same way he has actually written in the sky, captured on camera, live, captured writing with his hand. Remember Yaya Kilimani, the first one before the second Yaya Kilimani it attended last week, when he wrote in the sky, caught live on video. You also remember um, Menengai, Menengai 3, when he wrote across the sky nonstop and Guy 2, and so forth, and so forth, even Central Park. So in this conversation, God Almighty came from heaven to speak with me. And in speaking with me, he wrote a note on a white piece of paper, a pure white glorious piece of paper. Then he wrote in capital letters. And that text, he, he drew it, his hand brought it very close to the two prophets of the Lord, and they could read and it read Melchizedek's Day, capital letters Melchizedek's Day is known as the Day of Light that is the writing that heaven wrote, God the Father himself wrote in his throne room and he brought his hand very very close to me and he made me read showed it to me and made me read and this entire aspect of God communicating with these two prophets by writing, it is something that came right from the beginning far away, a little bit out of this generation away from this dispensation when there was a contact with the Lord and there was a conversation that took place at the throne position of God Almighty when uh, these two prophets spoke with the Lord and asked him to be writing to them, text and notes, and instruction. most of which we have not released, the ones written in the sky. But uh, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. That, that was the writing on the piece of paper. And he drew it very close, he brought it all the way close, that the two could read, the two servants of the Lord, messengers of heaven, could read. And then I want to share on the second one, and then I'll be able to launch on these two conversations for your Saturday evening sermon. And I'm praying that every Saturday the Lord can allow us to be doing this. So you already begin with the Saturday evening sermon before the Sunday comes. Then the second note took place when I was in France, in Paris, for the mission of the Lord, to announce to the people of France that the Messiah is coming. So I was in Paris, France. While I was in France, towards the end of that mission, on the last day, that night, let's remember it was the date of 12th, it must be 12th, either May 2009, I need to get back. But anyhow, on the last day, after the last meeting, that night, the Lord comes, and again, he writes a note. He writes a note from heaven, and he brings it all there. While I was in Paris, France, and he brings it very close. And that note said, I am coming, in capital letters. The second time, underneath that, I am coming. And the third time, underneath that, I am coming, says the Lord. So in France, in Paris, while I was on the mission, this trail of the Lord, this mission of doing the errands of preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah, doing the beatings of the Lord in Paris, France, then on the last day before I left for the airport, then he wrote the note saying, I am coming, capital letters, I am coming. And the third one, I am coming, comma, says the Lord. And I know there have been other writings like the one I shared with you people um, during the meeting, the conference, the ninth conference of pastors, the recent ones, when he wrote the book of Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, about a meter and a half from the ground and brought it to me, and many other writings. But I want to focus on these two writings to see if I can develop this for you and bring forth the instruction of God. We know very clearly that it is absolutely very clear. It's very, very, we, we, we are very aware that it is very clear on the message the Lord is giving. Number one is saying that there is a day There is a day that has been set, the day of the coming of the Messiah, the day of the glorious coming of the Messiah. And he says in heaven that day is demarcated by God the Father himself. He has not shared with the Christ. He has not shared with anybody. He has not shared with the angels. Only God the Father the Bible says nobody knows that day or that day. Nobody knows the day or the hour. If you get the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, from verse 36, he says this, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but only God the Father, Jehovah Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah is about. And so, you now see very clearly that the day he's talking about is actually the day that is concealed by the hidden counsel of God Almighty. The hidden wisdom of, wisdom of God, concealed wisdom of God has concealed this day, and in so doing, this day has become like a standard, a trap to the church. Because he talks about preparing for this day, preparedness for this day, readiness for this day. But right from the onset, the first thing I would like to bring very forward, uh, up front on this conversation is the fact that God is now showing a greater disposition of love to mankind and especially to this generation. And to this generation is beginning to reveal certain secrets that he has not revealed before to the past generations. And these two that speak with you are also aware of the events that happen in the other generations, so they can compare the two generations. They have also executed ministry, their ministry cuts across generations. And that's why I am saying for this generation he has shown a greater disposition of love. Because he is now opening up a little bit more and showing certain things that he has not shown the other generations. For example, the day that I've read about in Matthew twenty four thirty six. The day whose day and hour is not known, like a thief, concealed day. Now we see that when that day is drawing nearer, based on the conversation he has had with me, then now he's able to bring it to you and to how heaven calls that day, the consignment that heaven has laid on that day. Even the nomenclature, the naming, he says the day of rapture according to heaven is called Melchizedek's day. That is very powerful, blessed people. And so there can never have been a more vivid and more clearer connection between Melchizedek visiting Abraham and the unveiling that actually Christ Jesus is the Melchizedek that came. So, in this conversation right away from the beginning, you see that in as much as he's saying the Messiah is coming, but he has made it also clear that that day in heaven, in heaven it is called Melchizedek's Day. So, this generation is so blessed to even know that in heaven, this day is known as Melchizedek's day. But this is very powerful. The nomenclature of this day, the naming of this day. In heaven, this day is called Melchizedek's day. And then he it says, it's known as the day of light. Meaning, it's also called the day of light. And there's so much narrative that goes into that, and the instruction embedded thereat. Because if Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light, that means he that is the light of the world, he that upon his coming brought light, the light of God to the nations, is actually coming on that day. And there's so many narratives you could assign to this to instruct you, even on what the Lord is saying. Because John chapter 1 verse 1 on he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2 he says, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In verse 4 it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. You see that now. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Verse 6 says, there came a man sent from God. So it goes on, and you can still go to the same John chapter 12 verse 8. So chapter 8 verse 12 I beg your pardon and he says when jesus spoke again to the people he said i am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life so again now it connects the light and the life the way he did in the book of John, chapter 1, now again, chapter 8, 12, he is able to connect the light and the life. And this is a very powerful thing, blessed people. He's saying that Melchizedek's day, in this conversation he had with his two prophets, with his two mega ancient prophets, the prophets of the ancient times of old that are walking the earth today, and executing the ministry in the fashion of the old, but combining in this hour, combining within this dispensation the anointing and the mission of this hour, but deriving their whole mission right from so another generation way back, is saying, Melchizedek's day, he says to them, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light and then now is making it clear to you that in heaven this day is known as the day of light in heaven this day is known as Melchizedek's day making you to understand that really Melchizedek is Christ pre-incarnate the pre-incarnate Christ and that's very powerful because now where without genealogy, without origin, without beginning of days or end of days, he remains king of Salem during that, that time. So you see he comes and he consecrates the lineage through which he would come. And then he disappears without any records, any genealogy. Only to appear later now in the sweating of these uh, the, the rags at the Bethlehem, the meek coming and going to the cross. But in heaven, the day of rapture is known as Melchizedek's Day. And then in Paris, France, he now writes a note saying, I am coming. I am coming. The third one, I am coming, and he writes one on top, one in the middle, one at the bottom, I am coming, comma, says the Lord. And so to this generation He's showing a greater disposition of love. He's able now to say such things. He's able to open up and reveal what Melchizedek's day is known as. At this very important time, blessed people. And then you see later, later on now, as we have read from the book of John, chapter 8, verse 12. But if you went to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, which is right next there. Matthew 5, you read 13, 14. It's amazing because in Matthew 5, he then now collects to you. He links back to you. And he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, that means the efficacy of the gospel, the effectiveness of the gospel. I've told it before the efficacy, the strength of the gospel, the strength of the cross, the efficacy of the cross in changing the discourse, the narrative, the taste of the earth, changing the profile of man's life on the earth, changing life on the earth. So, But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out And trampled by men. Then now our target verse is 14. Now he says, You are the light of the world. And he says, A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, verse 16, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Very powerful. He's now collecting the day of light. He says, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. And yet we see from John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, "You, he is the light. He is the light of the world. And no one walking with him who has received him can walk in darkness anymore except to exude the light that is Christ Jesus. And then now, in Matthew 5, 13, 14, in 14, 16, it says, you are the light of the world. Now he connects to the church. In other words, you see the instruction that God is giving the church right there, right in your eyes, right there before you. In other words, if Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light, and yet that day is coming, the day of the Messiah's return is coming, I am coming, says the Lord. Then he's saying, those... The people of the earth, the church, those who would love to partake of that day, the consummation of that day, the rapturing of the church, to be taken up into his glorious kingdom, to be part of his mission on that day, to come and take the bride. Those who want to be part of it, you are the light of the world. You would rather be the light of the world at this hour. And your light would rather shine to all men especially in this dark world that they may see the good deeds of your father in heaven and worship him and praise him he's already instructing on the church that you ought to be in these last dying minutes towards the glorious coming of the Messiah and that's where I want to begin from on this Saturday evening Saturday night sermon as you prepare for your Sunday services. So one thing you see, I could take, for example, this church, the present-day church, and pull her out and speak so much to her about this day. I could take this generation of the present earth, the nations, that so be now. So if I took this church this generation, the present day church, then you see one thing, that God has appointed you. For him to be coming out at this hour and bringing forth monumental visitations of historic proportion, then obviously you can see that you are appointed by God. In other words, this is the appointed time upon which the Lord has set out in his prophetic timeline and demarcated that when this time shall arrive, I shall now show greater disposition of love and open up greater things of heaven to grow their hearts to the kingdom of heaven that they be the generation that prepares the way for the glorious coming of the Messiah, for Melchizedek's day, that get to see the consummation of that day, the realization of that day. How powerful, blessed people. So you see right away that you are an appointed church. God has appointed you to be in this time and to partake of these monumental historic visitations and instruction. Even to be able to see, to perceive, to behold the two tremendous prophets of the book of Revelation, chapter 11, operating in what becomes the preamble, the introduction, the abstract of Revelation eleven three, the power that they will exude then, you see they are beginning to introduce, to bring a little abstract, a little glimpse of what it shall be like after the church is taken away. But I'm saying that you are an appointed generation. In other words, there is an election that God has placed on you as the church. He has elected you. So if he has appointed this hour, then the generation, the church, that is you, is an appointed generation, appointed church. And when you are appointed, then normally you will find that there is a duty assigned you. In other words, there is responsibility that is assigned to you by virtue of the appointment of God. To whom much is given, much is expected. So if you be that appointed generation, blessed people, and so you see now, so much is being poured unto you to prepare you. And many generations did get the opportunity. They lived a casual Christian life. They didn't get the time or the moment, the privilege of hearing the announcement of the glorious coming of the Messiah. So some of them died, went to sleep, without really preparing substantively. But for you, you are this advantage point that the announcement is here the messengers preparing that way is here and God is revealing the deeper secrets of heaven, he's saying the day of rapture in heaven is called Melchizedek's day which is known as the day of light and he's writing in the sky, you're recording the writing, the cloud is coming the heavens are open, the glory is settling on he that speaks with you on the crown of my head even as we walk and serve you and serve the Lord, and stand before the Lord of all the earth. But once you are elected, so so this church has been elected, you have been appointed. So in other words, I could say there is an election of God upon the lives of the saints of today. And there is a duty thereof in view of that gravity of that election, then there is a duty assigned you. You have been assigned a duty to set up the worship pattern according to the order of God. That is the reason you have been appointed. That you may now be that generation, that church, that is appointed to set up the worship pattern that other generations have not set up, but you set up the worship pattern according to the instruction he has shown me in heaven. According to God's order. And that's why I want us to begin to walk this journey tonight. And I know many nations are tuned in. It's a very long sermon. Probably I'll just see how much I can get to and then continue. If you turn with me the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 28, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, you've seen again, before even we get to 1 Chronicles 28, you've seen the instruction that God is asking you as a generation to walk in the light of Christ. Let the deeds of light come out of you as a church, as a Christian. But what do you see instead? You see that the church today is instead spewing darkness. In fact, there is deep darkness, pitch darkness in the inner chambers of the house of the Lord. You see the sexual immorality scandals, sexual sin scandals, manless scandals, what, you know, nudity in the church, false prophets, and all these things. So that, that is, those are deeds of darkness. And so even as we begin the psalm, the instruction is already delivered. He's saying, this is the hour to be the light of Christ. You are the light of Christ. Therefore, let your light shine forth unto this dark world, that they may see the good deeds of God in you. And be born again and accept Christ and praise him for the great works he has done on the cross. Praise him for the raising of the cripples owing to the works of the cross. Praise him for the righteousness he has brought in a world that is dark and wicked. So First Chronicles 28, blessed people. I'm reading verses 19 to 11. The election that's upon your life. Again, first chronicles twenty eight verse nine to eleven, he says, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge that God that, that the God of your father again. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him. With wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts of man. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But If you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Verse 10, 1 Chronicles 28, it says, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then verse 11 says, Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, his buildings, his storerooms, his upper parts, in other words, upper chambers, his inner rooms, inner chambers, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit of the Lord had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasures of the temple of God and for the treasures for the dedicated things, meaning sacred. He gave instruction for the divisions of the priests and the Levites and for all the works of serving in the temple of the Lord, as well as for the articles to be used in his service. He designated the weight of the gold for all the gold articles to be used in various kinds of service, and the weight of silver for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service. The weight of gold for the gold lampstands, and their lamps with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps and the weight of silver for each of the silver lampstands and its stands and the weight of gold for the table for consecrated bread and the weight of silver for the silver tables. The weight of pure gold for the forks and the sprinkling bowls, and the pitchers, and the weight of gold for each of the dishes, and the weight of silver for each silver dish, and the weight of the refined gold for the altar of incense. And he gave him the plan for the chariots, that is, the cherubim of gold, that spread their wings and shelter the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts. All this David said, I have I have written, I have been writing from the hand of the Lord, for the hand of the Lord is upon me, and he gave me understanding in all the details of the plan. David also said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. And do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and the levites are ready, levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God. And every willing man skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials of all the people will obey your every command on this matter. So this is very powerful. The book of first chronicles, chapter twenty eight. And so you see, at this point, Mm. David wanted to build the temple of the Lord, but he was not allowed. And then, Mm. by election, the Lord chooses another generation. He chooses Solomon, his son. The generation of Solomon is what he chooses, so the other generation does not build. So now his son... Solomon, that generation of Solomon, now he chooses Solomon to build the temple of the Lord. And the Lord, on this matter of the election, when he now elects Solomon and his generation to be the generation that builds the temple of the Lord because all the skilled men would now gather around him and take instruction and build the temple of the Lord. But upon electing Solomon, then he gives Solomon the duty. He gives him the duty to be able to set up the worship pattern and the order of God's worship. So when David is handing down the plan, the plan of worship, That God has downloaded him from heaven. Then you see God's order of worship. In other words, God's pattern of worship. And in everything I've read until now, in that patterning, that ordering of worship, the order of God's worship is very, very specific. Extremely specific. extremely very specific with each article, each item, each dish, the table made of gold, made of silver, the the, the highly refined gold, the super refined, and what makes the table, and all that. Even the chariots, the cherubim. The Lord chooses Solomon. In other words, The election of God is upon Solomon. He elects him to now set up the worship order of heaven. The worship order of God. And when he elects him, then you now see the instruction, the patterning, the the, the, the ordering of worship of heaven downloaded to him to execute. To make sure that worship is exactly as God has ordered And I know of a generation, too, that has now been elected. I say from the beginning that the election of God, God's appointment is upon the present church, the present generation. And therefore their duty has been assigned equally to, in equal measure. So the election of the saints of today has come up, has come with a duty to set up the worship order the worship pattern in accordance with the order of God, God's order, in the same way. Why it was a physical temple? Now we are talking about a physical tabernacle. And I'm reading the book of First Corinthians, chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. Verse 18 to 19, for example, our target is 19, but to give us a broader latitude, we read 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. In other words, outside the temple. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Verse 19, he says... Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God, Jehovah. You are not your own, but you are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So he's talking about the temple that Jesus set up, the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he constructed in Isaiah 53 at the Calvary Cross. So that now the temple temple at Pentecost may be installed. The temple of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual temple. And then he's saying that now on this matter of the latter glory, you are the generation that has been appointed, has been elected to do the duty of setting up worship. The worship order of God. The worship pattern according to God's order. The book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 10, blessed people, and if we have time, we'll also be able to see that particular instruction, that order that the Lord has set. The book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 10, book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 10 can read probably one verse again turn with me blessed people the book of Ezra chapter 10 once I get there I'll read it verse 4 he says this Ezra chapter 10 verse 4 he says rise up This matter is in your hands. We will support you. So take courage and do it. There was such a time when there was need for a refreshing revival again. And again, the Lord had, by election, chosen a particular people a particular generation, a particular time, at which now to renew his people, to bring his people to confession of sin, to repentance, to restore, in other words, the house of the Lord. And so this is a very powerful time, blessed people, because we see very clearly that you too, the Lord has chosen this particular moment to be be the moment at which He chooses you. He has appointed the time and has the generation of the time at which now there will be the Holy Spirit worship. There will be the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit that will be able to contain the latter glory. That is an election because many generations waited for when they would get the opportunity to see the latter glory. Many righteous men of the Bible, they waited When shall we see the latter visitation? The Bible says, eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. But when will we see? Will we have the opportunity of seeing it? But you are seeing it. You are seeing God descending in the holiest glory of his physical manifest presence and passing through the heart of the Son and then seeking out the crown, the head of his servants, speaking with you now, and settling his glory on them. That is very big. Exodus 25, as we begin this journey, as we develop this journey, uh, on, on the worship order, the worship order of God that He is instructing today's church, that He instructing you as a church. Exodus 25, verse 9, it says the following. Again, Exodus 29, verse 9 twenty five verse nine he says Verse eight to nine to give us another large story. It says then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Look at that now. You are the contemporary on this side when the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit you have been asked to build. You have been asked as a generation at the church to build the tabernacle of the latter glory of God, the latter visitation of God, and you've now found out that it's very big. It is the visitation of God himself walking among you. But it says here, have them, again, Exodus 25, we're reading uh, verses beginning in verse 8 to 9, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you again the God's order of worship very specific you cannot change it and today too he has given that order and that is what I want to share with you today that we may remove the confusion from the church where they are now worshiping in another order another order And yet we know God is very specific when it comes to worship, how He should be worshipped. The Lord is extremely specific on how He should be worshipped. And worship is very key. Worship is extremely key to God. That's why He decides to order the worship from heaven, from the kingdom of heaven and then he brings it down down he downloads it to you with specifics because worship belongs to him and worship is so critical in the life of God and in the life of mankind because worship belongs to God in the life of man worship is too critical let me give you the example just to underscore to, to you how critical worship is to the church Why God has to order worship himself from his throne room and then download the specs, specific specs, the specifics of worship to you. He cannot take chances with worship. Look at, for example, in the book of Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my fruit day and night. While all men say to me all day long, where is your God? You see, again, verses 1 and 2 really underscores everything I'm trying to bring to you tonight. That worship is so central to the Lord, that when he says, Melchizedek's day is the day of light, and then arrives another note while I'm in Paris, France, at the time when the Lord allowed me to navigate the world, go all over the earth, And he writes another note saying, I am coming. I am coming. I am coming, says the Lord. And then he orders the worship. And to that generation now, that the announcement is being made, then he orders the worship, he says, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine among men unto this dark world, that people may see the good deeds of God. He's talking about worship. And he's saying, in the same way, David was not allowed, so other generations didn't get the the opportunity to build the tabernacle, the temple of God. But Solomon was allowed. And the specifics were downloaded to Solomon. How to be able to build the worship According to the order of God, God's order, God's patterning, God's standard, God's benchmark, God's specification. Worship is so critical. And I was bringing this to you, that the very reason man was created is to worship, blessed people. That's why worship is so central to the life of man that God himself has to design worship. And hand it down to men. And the failure of men to adhere to the specification of worship as you see in the church today, the present day church, is a disaster. Because worship is meant to deliver you, the church, into the glorious eternal kingdom of Jehovah. And to prove to you that you were created for worship and this apostasy of worship. Worshipping Jehovah that you see in the present-day church is actually disastrous. It's calamitous. Then I read the book of Psalm 42 when it says, As a deer in the desert pants for streams of water, past in many me desperately. Huh? So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul pants for God, for you, my God. For the living God, and it's as though the soul, as it passes, is asking, "When can I go and meet my God? If there is any scripture that really underscores the gravity and significance, and just how critical worship is, is, is in the life of man, how critical worshiping right is to the life of the present-day church." Of mankind, then this is it. It is Psalm 42, verses 1 to 2, for example. And verse 3 says, The tears are flowing every day. In desperation to achieve worship, the soul is yearning to worship the Lord and worship Him correct as to be able to meet God. In your Saturday night, Saturday evening, someone today, I just wanted to discuss this conversation of Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light, and I am coming, and then deliver the instruction, meaning the worship has to be commensurate with the election of God that has come upon this church. That the worshipping of God, Jehovah, has to be commensurate with the election, the appointment of God upon this generation. Upon you that are tuned in. And he says, worship is so critical to the Lord that you may be able to behold the visitation. This is the visitation of God the Father. So you can imagine. You can imagine for yourself the two tremendous ancient prophets of God are walking the face of the earth. They are commanding heaven. Heaven is opening. Rain is coming down. And they shock sure and stun, Astourment. Perplexity. The cloud is settled on the crown of their head. You are recording the glory of God. You can imagine how critical it is that this generation, this present-day church, gets worship correct, gets it right on worship. And that's why I thought, have you prepared for tomorrow? There is an instruction. And this is a message that is set out. Set out for Central Park, really. I'm just giving you the little preamble. The conversation that heaven is having with the church for the upcoming meeting in Central Park, but I thought I should give you a little taste, a little glimpse, a little glimpse of it that you may begin to understand the gravity that will bear down on Central Park on that day. The first week of October. But are you prepared to go to church in your Saturday evening sermon? What a mighty way to prepare for your service tomorrow. And he says, "As a gear past desperately pants, and the word panting, the dictionary. If I look into the dictionary, the word panting, panting. Uh, if I, if you open any dictionary <clears throat> any English dictionary, panting." What is the meaning of the word panting? Then you get even greater meaning on the desperation that the soul of man has. That worship be good and correct. That mankind catch worship right. And it says here, breathing with short and quick breaths. In other words, run out of breath. <laughs> Hallelujah. But when you think about worshiping, fulfilling worship, when your heart and your soul pass and wo- and thinks about fulfilling the requirements of worship, he says, Then to breathe quickly and loudly through your mouth, usually because you have been doing something very energetic and very distressful, you are in great anxiety about it. And great angustia, distress. To hurry, they are almost here. To do it in a hurry, in great distress, and breathing from the mouth aloud, <laughs> you are panting, huh? As a deer pants for the streams of of of, of, streams of water, in a thirsty, dry desert. So does my soul in desperation for you oh God that is just how much mankind was created to get worship to be desperate for worshipping the Lord correct worship Him right how much more then does this scripture of Psalm 42 1 and 2 bear upon the life of this generation the appointed generation the generation that is enjoying the election of God that they may see this greater visitation and that it may be a calling to duty, a call to duty to worship right, worship correct. Oh, I need to stop here, otherwise I'll preempt the sermon at Central Park. But I'll just read one more verse and then I'll cut it from here and prepare for Central Park. Oh, how I wish Central Park was tomorrow. To get worship right, this generation is under the election of God. They have been appointed by the Lord. They are seeing the visitations that many generations lost. They loved to see. In other words, your coveted generation. Then how much more should this generation get the worship correct? And it says here. Jesus is talking and I'm still talking about worship the worship that is being instructed by that note that God wrote me from heaven and wrote me and said Melchizedek's day is known as a day of light the instruction that came from there to the church today is the first time I'm doing this and I'll read two scriptures two verses and then just stop it here it's a very extended sermon meant for Central Park Nairobi Jesus said, John chapter 4, I'm reading verse 13, just to introduce you to the main verse I'm I'm leading you to. John chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water... I give him will become in him springs of living water welling out up out of him welling up to eternal life. Hallelujah! In other words, gelling out now, welling out like a well to eternal life. Do you see the importance of catching worship correct? That when you catch worship correct. Now you become a fountain of living water, like Christ is, and you'll see eternity, up to to eternal life. But it says here, in verse 23-24, and it says, John chapter 4, 23-24, it says, Yet the time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and the worshippers of God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah! That is the instruction He's giving when He says, "The day is known as the day of light." I am coming, says the Lord. He says the worship has now to become commensurate with the hour, with the appointment, with the election, with the visitation of the hour, with the announcement of the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah is coming, blessed people. It's an extended sermon. May the Lord bless you. You have Sunday services tomorrow. I have blessed your services. May the Lord bless you. I will see you at Central Park, Nairobi. The grand mega historic conference coming up. And if you thought Yahya Kilimani was something, this one the Lord has shown me too big. And I saw the two prophets standing there. One mega. Very big, and the other, and I don't know why the garment looks white. Probably a lot of the glory of the Lord over them. May the Lord bless you, 12 shalom.